Hey all, this is Dave Korsunski. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We've got a lot more great guests coming, so stick with us. If you like what you've been hearing, head to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Helps keep our show going, and we really appreciate it. Just a few quick updates on what we've been working on with headsuphealth.com, which is our app that allows you to centrally track all of your health metrics so you can use data to optimize your health. We just finished our integration with Elite HRV, so you can link your Elite account and your heart rate variability readings will show up on your Heads Up dashboard. Our electronic integration with Keto Mojo is right around the corner. It will be available in October of 2018. You'll be able to purchase a Bluetooth connector for the Keto Mojo device and it will instantly sync the readings with Heads Up Health. So we're really excited about that one. We've been beta testing it, it's working great, and it's right around the corner. Our mobile app, also right around the corner. We've got a bunch of beta testers, it's working great. That one should be available in September 2018. Our integration with Chronometer has just started. It'll take us two or three weeks to finish that one up. So lots of great new features in the Heads Up Health app. Check it out at headsuphealth.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio, and this is going to be an awesome nerd session. I am looking at Steve Ottersberg here on the podcast today, and we're going to do a really, really good deep dive on CBD oil. And Steve, I saw you present at Best Answer for Cancer. It was one of the uh, probably the the top aside from your 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 wonderful wife uh it was the second most mic dropping performance i saw at the conference and the stuff you were presenting on cbd oil cannabis was just at a level of of technical detail that i have not been able to come across before so really really grateful to have you on the show and uh Thanks for joining, Steve. Maybe just give us a quick intro. Who's Steve? Where you're at in the world? Broadcasting from today. I'm going to ask a lot of really dumb questions, and we'll go from there. Cool. Thanks, Dave. So it's an honor to be on today. Um, so I'm broadcasting today from Green Lab Solutions here in Durango, Colorado. We are a state-certified marijuana testing lab. Mm-hmm. So we test both uh, marijuana for licensed growers here in Colorado, but we also test hemp. So we do a lot of the a lot of the testing for hemp growers that are selling their product to CBD producers, and as you know, I'm married to Nasha Winters. Um, Nasha is a naturopathic oncologist. She and I have been together since undergrad, and so most of my adult life has been paralleled with Nasha's path in yep. her pursuit of um, her healthcare career and her pursuit of health. And so we've we have kind of molded our careers around each other. And so I, as a chemist, my background is in drug design, but, and I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry, but I've also taught biochemistry to naturopathic medical students. And so that's why when you heard me speak a best answer for cancer, 
it fit perfectly with most of what you're going to hear from the MDs and DOs and acupuncturists that were, that were speaking there because we're coming from a similar background in terms of our education and, you know, our experience. I've done a lot of coaching within Nasha's practice, uh, specifically in genetic testing. Yep. We used to do a lot of 23andMe genetic tests on Nasha's patients just so that we could make sure that our approach is going to be appropriate for the genetics of the patient. So that's where I come into the CBD and, and THC world is from kind of a biochemistry medical world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to bring the both of those worlds together, working in the pharmaceutical industry, working in drug design, and then also working in the functional and naturopathic worlds as well. You, you really get a purview of everything. And you touched on something that, that's really become relevant for, for us lately, which is the, the ge genetic component to all of this. And how does that play into the treatment protocol that one might recommend? We just had Alex Swanson on the show from oh, Nutrition Geno. And holy crap, man, like this is a whole nother level of depth that is now available to us that is like, it's kind of like discovering the dark matter in the universe <laughs> when it comes to like how you start managing your health, that that, that next layer has been revealed to us incredibly powerful and then to be able to combine it with the work you're doing to optimize a protocol you guys must be having a lot of fun nerding out on all this stuff oh absolutely nation i it's funny because you know people think that pillow talk is lovey-dovey and it is but there's also a lot of biochemistry involved you know whatever nation has a question about biochemistry she comes to me first. And Anyone who says biochemistry is not steamy, and it, <laughs> you know, we, right. we, yeah, we can set the record straight right here. Yeah. Yeah, Nash and I have actually done a lot of work with Alex. We absolutely yeah. adore him. and He is just a powerhouse of being able to take genetic testing information and apply that, you know, to the field of nutrigenomics where what Alex is doing, you know, he's taking – the genetic testing is going to tell you, should you be taking vitamin B12 and what form of B12 should yes. you be taking? Should you be taking folic acid or should you be taking five-month-of-folate? All yep. of these things are so important for really dialing in healthcare. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to hack it myself. I know that I have some kind of methylation issue and I know that my homocysteine is persistently high. So I just started trying all these different supplements until I found the one that actually got the number in range. But now you can just basically get the genetic report and it'll, it'll short circuit a lot of that stuff. And the reason we're partnering with Alex is because we have the lab test results in Heads yeah. Up Health. So you can yeah. know, okay, am I, am, I, am I properly influencing the expression of the gene and how can I measure that in the lab test results? And is really just an incredibly exciting area to start stitching everything together. Yeah, and that's the key is, you know, the genetic testing data is important, mm -hmm. but you have to be able to look at the lab results and interpret is the, the you know, when we talk about genetic tests, we talk about SNPs, yep. single nucleotide polymorphisms, which are point mutations on our genes. Mm -hmm. And the SNPs are important, but what's more important is are the SNPs expressing themselves that's yep. epigenetics yep. we can have a mutation in our genes that does that has no influence on our physiology whatsoever yep and that is you know there's nothing to do with that 
Yeah. But when we have a gene mutation that's causing an issue in our physiology, you know, homocysteine is the best example of that. You know, there's a handful of different genes that influence homocysteine metabolism. And so by looking at each individual gene associated with homocysteine metabolism, we can pinpoint where the issue is. And that is such an amazing thing we have today. Yeah. I mean, he, he got into stuff around mental health disorders yep. that can be easily treated and identified yeah. when you get the right info. And, and yeah, it's just amazing. So how does, how does, maybe this is a good segue into some of the, the topics around um, cannabis. So when you look at a, at a genetic profile, Steve, and you're thinking about recommending a cannabis product, what are you looking for? So I start by looking at the genes that influence neurotransmitter metabolism. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, COM-T is catecholamine O-methyltransferase. It metabolizes dopamine and epinephrine, but it also metabolizes toxins like benzene from gasoline. And it, it I'm gonna group estrogen as a toxin because when estrogen is, is not metabolized correctly, it becomes a toxin. Mm -hmm. So I look at these kind of things to, to look at susceptibility to stress. For instance, epinephrine or what we, you know, adrenaline is metabolized by COM-T. Mm -hmm. So if you have high homocysteine, you likely have low SAM. Mm -hmm. SAM is the fuel for COM-T. So that's one influence on your ability to accommodate stress. So if you're a slow producer of SAM, you're likely not going to metabolize your epinephrine quickly enough. And what, what would likely be an inconclusive event in your life might end up blowing up into something that's going to actually damage your physiology because you're not accommodating stress well. Does that make yep. sense? It does. Yep. And this is something that nation I see over and over again in women with breast cancer and ovarian cancer, their stress levels might not be that bad, but their ability to accommodate that stress is horrible because they just aren't metabolizing the neurotransmitters correctly. So even though physiologically they may be managing okay on the surface, biochemically they yep. are not metabolizing properly and that's putting a higher load on the system. Is that right. correct? Yep. And yeah, you can see those patterns. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this stands out in their genetic testing like, you know, a red light at the intersection. Yeah, really, because in our in our pathways, we look at the gene mutations. Green is normal. Yellow is heterozygous, meaning you yep. got the mutation from one parent. Yep. Red is homozygous, meaning you got the same mutation from both parents, and you're not likely to be able to have a functional protein that results from that from that yep. mutation. Cool. There was actually a study that came out last year or the year before that showed that beta blockers reduce the risk of occurrence of or reduce the risk of recurrence in breast and ovarian cancer. And the reason is because beta blockers is blocking the stress response from adrenaline. And so we, you know, we made the casual correlation, we didn't do a statistical analysis, but we made the casual correlation that, oh, we see this COM-T SNP very frequently in this population of women and beta blockers reduce the risk of recurrence. That kind of cements our theory about the COM-T mutation influencing the accommodation of stress. Yep. So you're starting to see these patterns 
in yeah. in actual clinical working with 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 clients you're, yeah. you're developing hypotheses and then you you see something that that may actually indirectly be working and you can start to figure out why that's working so I mean, how does one of the things that really fascinated me about your presentation was the work you're doing to study the um, actual types of terpenes that are available in the plants. And as you study these, Steve, is, is that starting to influence which products, which strains you're going to recommend based on the, the individual's condition? Is it, is it cancer? Is it epilepsy? And then which variation of that disease? There's lots of variations of epileptic seizures and cancer. So how does, how does the CBD and, and the cannabis and the terpenes and the chemistry there fit into all of this? Because like I was taking furious notes in your session because you were breaking down the terpenes and actually helping people learn which ones are suitable for which application. And so that was awesome. There's a lot of other questions I have on that, but maybe just the first part is like, how does that all fit together? Yeah. And I think that's the key to cannabis therapies. You know, and you have to remember when I say cannabis, hemp and marijuana are both cannabis sativa. The difference between those two is that marijuana plants have been selectively bred to produce THC. Mm Mm-hmm. And because most of the breeding programs in the United States were selectively bred in the black market to produce the, the most high, mm-hmm. you know, black market marijuana breeders were just looking to get as high as they possibly could. Yeah. And so the end result is that they selected for high THC and high myrcene strains. Mm-hmm. Myrcene is, is one of the terpenoids that, has the most profound physiological effects because myrcene binds to opiate receptors. And we'll come back to that, but I want to just kind of differentiate. So the psychoactive component, myrcene actually has the biggest impact on the psychoactive part of it. Is that right? It has a profound influence on the, on the physiological effects and the psychoactive effects of THC because THC is binding to the CB1 receptor, myrcene is binding to opiate receptors, and they have crosstalk between them. And so it, the, the existence of myrcene in the strain actually potentiates the psychoactive effects of THC. Yep. And that's why you'll often hear people refer to a high myrcene strain as inducing couch lock. Yep. Because... Yeah. And it's just because they're synergistic. We used to call it wheelchair weed when I was yeah. growing up in Canada. <laughs> you're basically just paralyzed yeah. for an hour and you're like, yeah, into the couch. Goodbye. Yeah. That's Bye. funny. My brother, Jeff, is a horticulturist. When I was a kid, he had a strain they called wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll come back to that because I really want to, I really think the connection to the opioid receptors. I mean, that is incredibly powerful because we have an epidemic in this country around opioid addiction. And I know you talked about how that actually works when you want to use cannabis therapy for addiction to opioids. So let's let's table that for a second. I'll, I'll make sure we come back to it. But maybe we can actually do a little bit of education for the casual listener and let's just talk about the terpenes, what they are, 
And um, then I'd like to just ask you about why some medical marijuana facilities can list them out and some don't. It, it, it obviously depends on the state and the regulations, I would imagine. But could you give us like a 101, Steve, on the terpenes first? Absolutely. So I'm a major foodie, which is part of the reason I'm so attracted to terpenes, because terpenes are the flavor and aroma components of all of our culinary herbs. Yep. Um, there are about 20,000 terpenoids produced in the plant kingdom. You know, so when you think about the terpenes, pinenes are the aroma of pine. Osamine is the aroma of oregano. Uh, Beta-caryophyllene is the bite of black pepper. Limonene is the, the characteristic odor of lemon and other citrus. And so, you know, we could go on for days because there are so many different terpenoids produced in nature. Yeah. And in the plant kingdom, terpenoids are produced for a variety of reasons. Some of them are produced as a defense mm -hmm. against predation by insects. Sure. Yep. Some of them are produced as antifungal. Mm -hmm. And so they are they're produced in different levels in different plants because the plant has a specific motivation for produce for, for producing that specific terpenoids. So they're Secret kind of agendas of the plants. Yeah, exactly. And so the terpenoids are produced by the different plant under different conditions. But in general, you know, citrus produces high limonene. And I like to focus on limonene because there was a study in Japan a couple years ago that showed that simply smelling limonene was as effective as pharmaceutical antidepressants in an institutional setting. Yeah, I completely believe that. And I think that's where like, I, I, I've, I've become a big believer in aromatherapy. When I go yeah. mountain, mountain bike through Golden Gate Park, I know I'm inhaling all of these beautifully, yeah. wonderful, powerful chemicals. And there's a, there's a biochemical reaction happening when, when those, when that, that hits my senses and then hits my brain. And obviously it has some medicinal value from what you just. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I love the, the, the analogy of foresting, yeah. you know, walking through a pine forest, who's going to be pissed off by the smell of pine. It's yeah. Like one person on the planet. Every talk I give about terpenoids, I always say, okay, there's one person in the audience that hates lavender. Raise your hands, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's this Japanese practice. I think it's called like Shinrin-yoku or something, and it's forest bathing. Yeah. And, and they go in there, and they just in inhale and smell all of these things. And, yep. I and, and there's a, a biochemical reaction, like you said, that once you test it out in the lab, it's as good or better than a lot of the, 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 the medicine pharmaceutical products not not in all cases but yeah so so that's how these compounds that's one example in in an yeah. aromatherapy type example but I, i'm there's others that you can relate to i guess as you continue this explanation then into the um cbd world yeah i mean it's, it's quite you know it's simple i mean whether you believe in the medicinal value of aromatherapy or not nobody can deny that lemon is a refreshing smell Lavender, Nobody can pine, die that, all these yeah. awesome things. I mean, look at when you walk down the, the cleaning products aisle at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. What are the two major fragrances that you see available in cleaning products? Yeah. It's pine or lemon. Yeah. Because it just feels good to smell it. Yeah. Nobody can deny that. I mean, who, who hates the smell of lemon and lavender? Yeah. <laughs> I just got my first lavender plant. My mom came to visit me in Tahoe a few weeks nice. ago. 
And we just went to this summer festival. It was called the Lavender and Honey Festival. And it was like in Sparks, Nevada or something like that. And uh, anyhow, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my green thumb. I have my first lavender plant, my first nice. flower. But yeah, that's, that's the beauty of it is, is the aromatherapy aspect to it. I think that's a good, like, good example that everyone can relate to. Now, like when you say there's 20,000 of them out there, there's obviously a subset that are manifesting in yep. cannabis. Is that right? Yeah, we, here in our lab, we're calibrated for 21 terpenoids. And in a typical hemp or marijuana plant, we'll see, you know, maybe five to 10 at levels that are significant. Yep. And so, you know, we're, we're specifically looking at, at terpenoids here in Colorado because I don't believe in the indica and sativa classification of marijuana anymore. Yeah. I mean, a hundred years ago, it meant something. Because a hundred years ago, you could get pure genetics of an indica. Absolutely. Yep, pure that makes genetics of sativa. Yeah. But today, most genetics that are commercially available are, have been hybridized to the point where they're no longer high indica. They're no longer high sativa. Yep. And that's a good historical description of the plant. Yeah. But a more accurate modern description of the plant would be based on what, what I call chemovars. A chemovar is a chemical description of the plant. Yes. You know, so what we would typically refer to as a sativa is going to be a low myrcene strain that's typically high in beta-pinene or limonene. Pinene and limonene tend to counteract the effects of THC. The sedative so, effects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, limonene and pinene tend to be more uplifting. And so when people say that a sativa strain is mentally stimulating, it's because the, the terpenoids in a sativa strain are going to be counteracting the psychological effects of THC, making them much more tolerable. Yep. I mean, it's to the point where if you, I mean, you, you I don't want to say you in particular, but everybody that tries edibles for the first time typically overdoes it, right? Yep. I did. I, uh, I think I got ran over by a bus. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's genetics involved in that. We'll have to yeah. come back to that. Yeah. But did you know that limonene is the, the, one of the most potent antidotes for THC? You mentioned this in the presentation, which is like, okay, if you, if you took too much, yeah. get, get some, some lime and some warm, was it warm water and just have yeah. a little drink of that? I forget what the exact, um, yeah. I mean, the, best, the, the easiest thing to do is to take the lemon essential oil and put it in a, in a cup of warm water and drink it. And that's, that's the terpene that, uh -huh. that has the counteracting effect yep. to the sedative component. So there's, there's, there's a, that is a real-world example of yeah. applying everything that we're talking about. That's exactly – these examples are, are exactly why I wanted you to come on to the – Show because even you go into like the most sophisticated uh, dispensaries here in San Francisco, and they're still saying indica, sativa, hybrid. Yeah. And you look on the menu, they don't list a single terpene. And what you're saying is that's actually the most important part. Yeah. I mean, this is, I've been out speaking at cannabis conferences and medical conferences, and Every conference that I speak at, my message is consistent. The message is we must start 
with terpenoids and follow with cannabinoids in our description of these plants. Yep. The cannabinoids are important, but really the day of high THC strains needs to come to an end. A hundred percent, man. This needs to be therapeutic, medicinal, targeted at specific use case. I don't know what you want to call it, uh, but yes, I, I would agree with that. And not to say that there's not a time and place for high THC products. Absolutely. You know, Nation and I have worked with cancer patients that required like 300 milligrams of THC to get, to get pain relief. Mm-hmm. And that's extreme. A typical dose is 10 milligrams. Yep. Most people will get substantially high on 10 milligrams. That's my sweet spot. 10 milligram edible, I take yeah. half. And yeah. then 45 minutes later, I take the other half. And like, that's, that's, that's a perfect amount yep. for me. And that's the perfect approach for edibles. Mm-hmm. And that's where most people go wrong with edibles is they're going to eat a 10 milligram edible and 20 minutes later, well, I don't feel anything. Yep. So I'm going to eat three more. Yep. And then two hours later, they're in the emergency room with the diagnosis that we call temporary marijuana-induced psychoses yep. because they think they're going to die. They're yep. not dying. They're well, really it's like... You're not going to take the pharmaceutical and pop 10 of them if you're not feeling anything. So right. I don't know why people, I think it's just the, the recreational aspect yeah. that is still embedded in our psyche about like something to do with how people use it. But yeah, that's, that's. I blame that on bro science, Dave. Bro science. Yes. Absolutely. You know, and I don't want to sit here and just rip on bud tenders all mm-hmm. day because there's a lot of really knowledgeable bud tenders out there that are doing a really good job. But my experience with most bud tenders is I go in and I just play dumb when I go to dispensaries. I don't tell them that I'm a scientist. Yeah. And I just let them give me the lowdown of bro science. And typically what they try to tell me, Oh bro, you got to try this strain because it gets me ripped. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want my, you know, if I'm coaching a patient, I don't want them to have that kind of experience in a dispensary. No. What I want in a dispensary is I want a bud tender that's going to tell the patient, this is the options that you have. You have the option of a high CBD strain if you've never done THC before because that's the place to start. Absolutely. You have to start with a high CBD strain if you've never done THC before. And you have to find out, are you even going to respond well to a high CBD strain? Then you can start working into THC-containing strains. And, you know, there's, there's different strains that are good for different, you know, things. Like we talked about mercy, and high mercy strains can be a really effective means of pain management. And to me, that's the silver bullet in the opioid, the opioid addiction crisis that we have in the United States. The high mercy strains. Yep. I know my dad went through some pretty rough times and he was in the hospital and he basically just told his wife, flush, flush the opioids down the toilet, go home, get me the edibles. Yep. And never had to touch that crap. Yeah. I went through the same thing. I had knee surgery in 2000 Mm -hmm. and in the hospital, they gave me a morphine pump. And what do you think I did? Yep. Uh, I just, I hit that button every five minutes because yeah. it was a horrible four hour open knee surgery that just left me in excruciating pain. Yeah. And when I left, what do you, what did they give me? They gave me an unlimited supply of Percocets. I uh-huh. could refill as many times as I want. 
Yeah. Luckily, this is when I was working in the pharmaceutical industry, and I happened to go into a neurologist's office here in Durango who's a functional medicine neurologist. She actually works with Jeffrey Bland. Yep. And when I went into Dr. Wilner's office, she pulled me into her office, and she just said, all right, you're post-op, and I can tell you haven't slept in two weeks. No <laughs> for you. And she just took them away. Yeah. She said, give me the opiates. You are not a candidate for opiates. Yep. And do anything you need for pain management other than opiates. Yeah. And she, I mean, I don't know where I would have been. had. God, God bless her for sure, yeah. man. We need more doctors that are laying the hammer down on that for sure. Yeah. And saying, by the way, here, you can take this, uh, yep. a high mercine uh, edible. But by the way, we're going to baby step you in. We're going to start you on this one, which is high CBD. We'll see how you respond. These doctors are then trained in, in how to apply these terpene profiles to different people. I don't know if, if we'll get there. It's, it's a long, it's, it's a, a big boat to turn around, but it's promising. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the direction we have to go. Yeah. I mean, even if I'm the only person in the industry that's saying this, something will, it caught your attention, didn't it? Yep. You know, every, every, every conference that I've spoken at this year, I just ask people, to raise your hands if you think that my message is wrong. You know, my message is consistent. Low THC to start with mm -hmm. and know your terpenoids. You have to know your terpenoids if you're going to really appreciate this product as a medicinal product. So or as a recreational product, too. I mean, that's the beauty of it. That's my next question, Steve. I go into the apothecarium here on Market Street, right? Market and Nan 14, San Francisco. Really, absolutely first-class dispensary. The best uh, and the nicest and the most professional that I've ever been into. And I sit down and I look at the menu. And, and they've got all the stuff, right, categorized, indica, sativa, hybrid. Only thing listed on there is THC percentage. Now, they do have some colored bars that will tell you, like, sedative, anti-anxiety. I don't know if that's where they're trying to inject the terpene profile. But it's kind of boiled down into these really, like, generic categories. Maybe that's what they're doing when they build the menu. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, this is a high, high mercine strain. I'm, I'm going to put this one as like high, uh, high in terms of um, uh, whatever you want to call it, psychoactivity or, or whatever. Now, then I go to the one in Reno, Nevada, okay, and on the packages, they're listing the top three pr terpene profiles cool. uh, in the plant. Now, this is between two different states. So... How does that work? Is, is, is it regulated at the state level? Is it by the dispensary's discretion? Like, how does all that work? I'm not that familiar with Nevada regulations, but I can tell you in California, if, if a dispensary wants to put terpenoids on the label, it's treated like FDA labeling. Okay. So in FDA labeling for nutritional supplements, if you're going to say that your product contains 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, mm -hmm. that's a label claim. Mm -hmm. And you have to substantiate that label claim with lab testing. And that's how the state of California is approaching terpenoids. They're not requiring terpenoids, which I think is un unfortunate. Agree. But if 
the producer wants to label terpenoids, they have to do lab testing. By an independent lab? Yes. Yeah, the way that, the way that California regulations work is I, as, as a lab owner, I can get a license in the state of California to do lab testing, and I have to validate all of my methods, and I have to be ready to show state auditors all of my validation data to open my doors. Okay. So, but the dispensaries themselves, it's, it's like you said, it's a, it's a claim that they're making. And if, right. if they are not ready to stand behind the lab testing from the, from the product that they're selling, they don't put it on the label. Correct. Okay. And what about Colorado? How does it work in Colorado? <laughs> Colorado requires, Colorado only requires the, the, the labeling of five cannabinoids. Requires five. Requires five. Top we, five. Yeah, top five. Here in Green Labs, we, we quantify 10. Mm-hmm. That's our standard cannabinoid profile. We do 10 cannabinoids. The state requires five. I think California requires 10 or 12. They're a little bit more progressive, which is good. What do you mean requires? I thought it was like voluntary in California. No, not anymore. As of July 1st, everything that's on the shelves in the dispensary has to be lab tested. Even if, the, even if they're not publishing it on the package, it has to be lab tested. That, yep. That's the, the disconnect there is yep. I'm not seeing it on the package, but that doesn't mean that it was not required for them to sell that product. The testing for cannabinoids is yeah. required in California now. So they have the data. It's just a yep. question of whether or not they choose to share it with the consumer. Correct. California. Yep. Yeah. Terpenoids is optional yeah. in California, but if... If I had a lab in California, I would be required to have auditable validation data for my terpenoid analysis. So I would imagine that there are some dispensaries that are catering to highly medicinal patients, cancer and yes. epilepsy and others, where yeah. they, will, they will take the time. To, to get that information available to the patient. And then yep. there are others where it's like, man, this stuff's flying off the shelves. We, mm-hmm. We're not going to bother with that. So I assume you may have to do some, like let's take California. You might want to call around to a few places and say, is that information available to me as, as the consumer on your strains? Yes. And I would recommend to all consumers in whatever your state in, ask for lab testing data. Awesome. If, yes. if your dispensary does not provide you with lab, lab testing data, find a different dispensary who will. Yeah. You know, there was a guy that died in California last year because he, this is before the, the new lab testing regulations went into effect, but there have been testing labs in California for 15 years or longer. Steep Hill has been there forever. Mm-hmm. And the dispensaries in California have had access to testing labs for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just that the new regulations that came out in January just started being enforced July 1st. Got it. And so everything on the shelves has to be lab tested if it's a legitimate dispensary. You know, there's still a lot of black market dispensaries that are unlicensed out there. Yeah, I wonder, you know, that's why my, maybe my, um, my regular dispensary just basically was like, pretty much out of inventory last time yeah. I went there because they were right in this transition period here. Yep. Yeah. July 1st, the state of California Bureau of Cannabis Control required on that day that everything on the shelves had to be lab tested. 
cool. So I could go in there and actually, even if they're not sharing it, I could ask for the lab data and that yeah. would give me the terpene profiles? If they ran it, yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and tell them. This is the thing is consumers need to demand. Yeah. We, you know, if you want to be an educated cannabis consumer, know your terpenoid profile. That's it's why I want you on here. I want everybody to be educated. I want everybody to understand how this works, how to get the most value out of what is arguably the most safest and most medicinal plants on the face of this planet. Yep. And that's the key is if we want this to be a legitimate medical industry, mm -hmm. we've got to follow the terps. Yeah. You know, remember the cannabinoids are very potent medicinal compounds, but you have to think about, so the, the analogy that I like to use is that cannabinoids and cannabinoid receptors mm -hmm. tune our neurotransmitters. Yeah. So if you have issues with dopamine or glutamate, cannabinoid receptors can effectively tune those neurotransmitters function. That's the whole purpose of the endocannabinoid system. We haven't even talked about endocannabinoids yet. I mean, remember, we have receptors for cannabinoids that are produced in our own body, known as endocannabinoids. Yep. And the function of the endocannabinoid system is to fine tune our normal neurotransmitter system. And so when you think about phytobased cannabinoids like THC and CBD, that is a powerful medicinal product that allows us to fine tune our neurotransmitter function. Yep. And when you think about the role of the terpenoids, the terpenoids are how we as consumers can fine tune CBD and THC. Yep. So that's the next level of, yeah. of tuning. That's, that's the elegance of this plant is the plant. There are different strains of this plant that are effective for different conditions because the terpenoids fine tune the effects of the cannabinoids. And, you know, I was sitting next to Dorian in your session, mm -hmm. and he's, he's a wine guy, yeah. but, but he listened to you, and he's like, hey, this sounds familiar. And yeah. it's like when you take a Pinot Noir from the Loire Valley in France, and you take a Pinot Noir from Napa Valley, and you figure out why they have different, different flavor profiles, different aromatic profiles. It's just... Yep. The differences in the soil, the differences in the altitude, the temperature, yeah. the plants express differently. And I would imagine you could take two of the, the same strains of cannabis and grow them in completely different parts of the world, genetically identical plants, yep. and have completely different terpene profiles. Yeah. And see, this is my plea to the growers. I am pleading to the growers of the world to use terpenoids to be the, their signature of their signature strain. Hallelujah, man. I want to see that on every single strain, every single package, every single menu. I just yeah. want to see that. Top five, top ten, just like yeah. you see on a label of food, the sugar, protein, fat, carbs, for example. Yep. We yeah. should have the same thing. I think that the terpenoid profile is something that individual growers should be proud of. Yeah, for sure. You know, just like that's, the, that's their art form at work, right? That yeah, You're a master yeah. of the craft, right? Show yeah. us. Yeah, that's why I love talking to Dorian about this is because yeah. it, it's just like the wine industry. Mm -hmm. You know, you said it perfectly. You take, a, you take a, a varietal of grape, you grow it in one region, you grow the same varietal in a different region, and you get two different wines. Yeah. And that's why wine people love trying different wines is because yeah. you can get a different characteristic flavor profile from different wineries, and that's the beauty of it. Cool.
This is awesome, Steve. And um, I guess what I'd like to do is just give us maybe like the top five terpenes and 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 what what their best application is. I got a bunch of notes on my laptop about yeah. about the different ones you brought up. I know you're testing for ten, but like maybe just give the listeners a couple examples that show the the difference in how you apply different terpenes to different disease states, for instance, or different mental health conditions or, or, or whatever the case might be. Just rattle off a few names for people so that when they go into their dispensary, at least they'll have some frame of reference. Okay, Mercine. I, I know what uh, Steve mentioned that that one is good in this situation. So like maybe just give us a few so people even, most people listening have probably never even heard these words before. Yeah, yeah, a lot of this is is foreign for a lot of people. I'm looking over my screen. I want to pull up a list of the terpenes that we commonly see. Yeah. So I would start with the pinenes because they're the lowest boiling. They're the most the most easily identifiable uh-huh. within most plants. I mean, the alpha and beta pinene, everybody knows them from pine and rosemary and the evergreen family. Um, the pinenes tend to be stimulant and, you know, mentally stimulating and uplifting. And so typically high pinene strains are not going to give you the couch lock. They're the ones that are going to make you feel like you have creative energy when you. That's what I like. You know, I like to go in and say, listen, I want something. I like it when I go to the gym. Okay. I'm going on record. And so I'll go in there and be like, I want something uplifting on the gym. I put my music on and I just want to go beast mode for an hour. Yep. And that's pining. They're, they're great motivating workout strains. Yes. Perfect. Yep. And then of course, limonene, limonene. I can't stop talking about limonene because yep. when I was in grad school, I did cancer drug design. Mm-hmm. 90% of the molecules that my research group designed looked like limonene. Yep. And I like to use the example of Memorial Sloan Kettering. You go on their website and Memorial Sloan Kettering has a whole page dedicated to the anti-cancer properties of limonene. It's one of the most widely accepted biological molecules that fights cancer that exists in nature. Hey, I think you guys actually are going to get served with a uh, patent infringement on mother nature here. You know, she's keeping an eye on you guys. (laughs) That's mother nature's IP. You know what I mean? Somebody's got to pay up. (laughs) And of course, you know, the, everybody knows that the smell of lemon is uplifting. I mean, how many cocktails have lemon rind in them? So how are you using the limonenes then? What, 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 what would you tell people? You, you gave the pinene example, the mentally stimulating, but the limonene. Exactly the same. The same, but, uplifting. Yeah, uplifting. But I think that the limonene strains tend to be more antidepressive than the pinene strains. Okay. There's yep. something, I don't even know the, the exact biochemistry of it, but there's something about limonene that is more effective as an antidepressant than the pinenes even. And God knows that the pinenes are incredible antidepressants. I mean, everybody comes out of the forest smiling. Yeah. That's beautiful. And then you can find those in in whatever type of application you want from cannabis plant, whether it's edible or flower or other, other, there's lots of ways to do it. Um, Yeah. You can look for these profiles. Okay. So we got pinene, we got limonene. Give us one more. 
Uh, one of the more obscure ones that's not found in a lot of strains is linalool. Mm -hmm. Linalool is the major component of lavender. Mm -hmm. There's one of my favorite people in the cannabis industry is Shango Lose. He has a podcast called Shaping Fire. Yeah. If, yeah. If you want, he's really, he really interviews some amazing people. Yeah. One of my favorites is he, he does multi, he does, he's done multiple interviews on Shaping Fire with Ethan Russo, the neurologist. Yep. And, and what Shangar Lose, the way he describes lavender, he says it's the gateway herb. <laughs> it's the gateway to aromatherapy. That's, that's pretty much my experience. I told you, man, I just got my lavender at home. I just, I'm just growing it for the first uh -huh. time. So that's certainly the gateway for me. Yeah. Hopefully brings me into that whole world of, of yeah. health-related, uh, exciting, fun, and nerdy things. Yeah. And that linalool is the major terpenoid of lavender. And linalool has interesting properties because it's calming, mm -hmm. but it's not sedative. I mean, you know how you feel when you smell lavender. Yeah. You know, and if you consume, if you consume lavender, like lavender cookies, you yeah. don't feel sedated, yeah. but it is without a doubt calming. And wow. to me, that's one of the most important physiological responses. If you can calm somebody's nerves without being sedative, that is a, a home really, run. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, you know, there's a lot of, it's really good for people that have anxiety that don't do well with sedative herbs or people that people don't want to get blasted, but, but yeah. they want, they want the medicinal effects. Yeah. So, yeah. So you could look for a strain in your local dispensary yep. and, and ask for testing data, ideally, and yep. look for a lin linal, uh, concentration. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how so, are these measured, Steve? Is, are these percentages when you're looking at a label? We report them as mass percent. And they're typically low in mass percent. You know, yeah. typically we, the average THC that we see in Colorado is, you know, between 15 to 18%. Yep. Average terpenoid concentration is from 1% to 3% at the high end. Yep. And probably and some even below, like in the, in the yeah. tenths of a decimal type uh -huh. of concentration. Yeah. Maybe yeah. less. Exactly. That's our typical terpenoid profile that we report you know, our high level terpenoids are from one to 3% and the medium level terpenoids are from 0.1 to 1%. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. This is incredible, Steve. I mean, I think this is exactly what I was hoping we could educate people on. Right. Um, anything I think else you want to cover here? I have a couple more just like closing questions, but yeah, you just start, you just hit me with questions because I could just go on rambling about terpenoids and cannabinoids all day long. Well, this is part one of our nerd safari. So okay, cool. this is the introductory nerd safari. Now, uh -huh. one of the other things I was really impressed with at Best Answer for Cancer was the United Patients group, which is like someone, let's take an example. I, I have a beloved family member and their eight-year-old daughter was just given two months to live with some awful brain tumor. She's up in small town Canada, has never even thought about using medicinal CBD oil before, doesn't even know where to start. Uh, there are groups out there that are nonprofit and have expertise and can help you get a sound medical recommendation on where to start. So in your opinion, like what are some of the places you'd recommend to people to go when they're starting down the path? So I love that you bring up 
United Patients Group. John has absolutely been a miracle worker in connecting people with legitimate science and legitimate cannabis-based medicines that are condition-specific. Yep. And he would be a really good resource. You know, he's based out of California. He's in the Bay Area. But I think that, that they have a broad reach, and they can make recommendations in most of the United States and in Canada. Yep. He's really well-connected. Cool. Um, you and know, just, another- just to pause right there for people, you can get a consultation with United Patients Group. They will, they will take your call. They will listen to your condition. They will, they will make some recommendations on where to start, which, which strains to try, where to get safe product. So it's a really good resource so that you don't take the wrong stuff to begin with. You, yeah. It's like anything. You go, you go online and look for information on keto, and it's like overwhelming. So yeah. just, yeah, for those people who are not familiar with that group, that that's their focus. They're a nonprofit United Patients group. So that that was one I wanted to bring up, and and maybe you know some other good resources out there that we can link to. Ann Zeldas is a producer out of the Bay Area. Yep. Mara Gordon, she came out of the IT world. I think yep. she's a systems engineer. As was I in my former life. And it's I mean it's per, I mean it's just like Dave Asbury. Yeah, we're all just taking our engineering brain and being like exactly okay, apply this to health. Yeah, I mean, biochemistry and health is just systems. Yeah. And you can hack any system if you Absolutely. understand how systems and networks work. Yep. And that's, been, that's why I love hearing Mara Gordon speak is because she is so elegant in her approach to making recommendations of products that are specific to conditions. Yeah. And her, her company, Aunt Zelda's, is probably one of the best producers of condition-specific products. That that's what we need. Condition-specific, I think, is super important. So yeah. uh, that's a great resource that yep. we, can, we can definitely educate people on. Yeah. And what about your work, Steve? Well, good question. All I do is lab testing. Are you publishing? Uh, are you publishing any of the research that you guys are seeing? Have you? Is there a good online resource about terpene profiles and the effects that you described? Because I've got them on my Evernote stuff from your talk, and they're they're kind of like chicken scratch. But is is there a good uh, resource for for the terpene profiles that you're aware of? So to me, the most important resource resource in literature for cannabinoids and terpenoids is a paper pr- that was published by Ethan Russo. Mm-hmm. And the title of the paper, and it's in public access, you can download it for free. The title of the paper is Taming uh-huh. THC. Taming THC. Okay, cool. Yep. I, don't, I can't tell you the number of times I've cited that article. Awesome. In talks, the number of times that I've used that article as a resource to find the appropriate product for a patient. Yep. And Russo is a, he's a board certified neurologist. Yep. He's all about evidence-based medicine and he, you know, he has a background in ethnobotany. He yep. spent time in South America, you know, studying ethnobotany. So he gets wow, man. right medicine. down into the jungle, really going wow. down there and, and getting right into the actual source of yep. a lot of this type of stuff, right? Not just even academic, but going down there to yeah. do that kind of work is awesome. And that's one of my hopes is I'm, I'm hoping, you know, because of all the talks that I've given, I'm developing a database of scientific literature references. Yes. 
And, you know, combined with the number of years of experience that Nation and I have working with cancer patients, I want to publish a website and I want to publish a book that are guides for patients that are seeking condition-specific treatments. What an incredibly valuable contribution that will be to society. So that would be incredible. I mean, the work you guys are doing already is just incredible. So yeah, thank you for everything you guys do. I'm super excited that Heads Up Health is is working with with Nasha and starting to be able to, to pull a lot of this information together under one roof so that clinicians with the right expertise can start doing some of this game-changing stuff. It's, yeah. yeah, we're excited to work with you as well, Dave. And it's, you know, for Nation I, it's just a matter of, we got to pull our heads out of the scientific sand and, you know, look around and, you know, get a, a human perspective on this. It's, it's well, kind of scientists and clinicians to sometimes get, you know, the real world perspective when we're just buried in lab testing and data and, you know, but there's, you know, like, like hearing Nasha speak, I mean, she's one of the few people that knows how to look at a genetic profile and, and modify a ketogenic diet yeah. based on the genetic profile, which is a level of depth that, that none of the quote unquote experts, it's even on their radar screen. And, and that comes from working with thousands of patients and looking at hundreds of thousands of lab tests. So you guys are like right out on the frontier. It's incredible. Yeah, we love it. Cool. That's the key is, I mean, we're, we're both just... But Nation and I are both cursed with an unsatiable curiosity. Yeah. And uh, I think I have that curse as well, except I'm applying it towards building a software program to help pull all this data together so that we can understand it all and then get get some machine learning in there. And get them get the machine learning to look at the genetic SNPs, the blood test data, the terpene profiles, the blood sugar values, and like go figure it all out, man. It's going to yep. be doing hundreds of variables. And that's what it takes. I mean, this is, this is part of the reason I'm not actively coaching patients anymore because it would take me five hours yeah. to do one patient prep with their, you know, cause I look at the genetic profile. Yeah. Then I look at their, you know, their C, you know, their standard blood work. And then I look yeah. at an organic acids. Yeah. You know, by the time you're done with all that blood work, it's, $800 to $1,200 worth of blood work and urine analysis. And then it's going to cost, you know, the patient like $500 to $800 for me to spend, you know, six to eight hours working through that data. Yep. It's just That's, not an efficient process. And what you're talking about is absolutely essential for us to take all of this data and crunch it into something that is actually useful. Yeah. You know, Alex is working on an API, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we'll go bop those guys over the head at Genova and get an API for the uh, organic acid tests. And uh, yes. we'll start stitching all this stuff together and, and bringing, it's like anything, it's just so cumbersome at first. Yeah. And, and then we, we bring technology and, and expertise to the problem. And yeah. so that Nasha and Steve don't have to spend eight hours of prep before they even talk to the client. Yeah. Therefore, they can see a hundred more clients and then, and then train a hundred more clinicians. And now we're getting somewhere. That's the key is it has to be re- automatable and reproducible in order for us to affect the masses. Cool. Well, this is awesome. We're right on the button here at the top of the hour. I know you're a busy man, so I want to get you back to your day. And I just want to say again, thank you for the time, Steve. This was incredibly helpful. Yeah, my pleasure. And I definitely am looking forward to part two.
Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 